Hey guys, thanks for joining us. I'm Andrew. And I'm Angela. And we are the Musicians Toolbox, where we interview musicians and to see which tools they would have us put in our toolbox to be successful. Today we have Carolee Hunter with us. Um, some of the reasons why you should pay attention to what she has to say. She has a bachelor's degree in piano performance from Brigham Young University, a master's degree in piano performance from Indiana University, and she also has a doctorate in piano performance from Arizona State University. Yeah. Um, on top of all of that, since she has gotten all of these degrees, Dr. Um, Hunter is in her seventh series in her Salonieres. Did I say that right? Salonieres. Yep. I'm sorry. I, I'm so terrible. Okay. <laughs> I'm okay. not even going to try, but she has a concert <laughs> series and it is um, amazing. She's yeah. in their seventh season. They are re re releasing, which album is it? I know you're releasing another album. We, it's, we're just working on the recording of the album right now, but uh -huh. it's going to be a, um, a sacred album. Okay. So okay. American sacred. So sacred works from basically any time period, but from American composers. Awesome. Okay, so, so they are in the recording st uh, stages of that right now. Correct. And then on top of all of that, she also has her own school of music, which mm -hmm. is Hammer and Strings Conservatory of Music. So Super cool. Thank you so much for being here with us today. We're yes. so glad yeah. you're here. <laughs> this is really exciting. Um, before we get started, is there anything in particular that you, I, I know I sent you a couple topics, that you would like to talk about before I start asking you questions and Andrew starts asking you questions? Oh, I don't think so. I think if it's going to come up, I'll probably find a way to throw it in there. So Okay. Awesome. Okay. Andrew, I'll let you start. Okay. Sounds good. So we have been, uh, everyone we ask, we like to learn more about them and we kind of start about their past. And so we we're just wondering, how did you get into music and what were some memorable experiences you've had? And can you just talk about your beginnings in music? Sure. Um, so I grew up in a very, very tiny Idaho farm town, um, but my mom was a music lover, and so she decided that she wanted her kids to have the opportunity to have music lessons. Um, I'm the fifth child of seven, and so by the time I came along, music was already pretty established in our house. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so I just, I saw my older sisters doing their music lessons, and I just assumed that was what everybody in life did and that's what I was supposed to do so I just started doing it so my mom threw me in lessons and piano I'm also lessons. piano lessons yes um and then I also am just a tad bit competitive in my personality <laughs> and so really? I was always <laughs> trying to do exactly what my sisters were doing uh. and trying to play their pieces and I was I feel really bad for that now <laughs> I've apologized there they love me it works out but um I just I really took to it I, I loved it I really excelled at it and it just kind of started to become a part of who I was and so all through high school and all of that I just I didn't know exactly how music was going to play a role but I always knew that piano was going to be a big part of who I was and then as I um you know, as I got into high school, we moved to a new uh, a new community, which is actually where I got, um, a, I had a couple of music teachers, and then I actually settled with Sue Miller, which you guys are, maybe if, maybe you're familiar with her. She's I know. Who she maybe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and that's when things started. I, I really started to understand what music in college started to look like. Before that, I didn't really have any ideas, and then um, I started to understand what it, kind of what it was all about, and what people would do with 
going to college in music and um, sounded really interesting. And so I kind of just went for it. Um, and then I got into BYU and, and I just, I loved it. I thrived on it. I thrived on, well, I created my own competitions, you know, with other people and everything, but I thrived on that. And I just, and I loved it and it just kept going and just kept going. And all of a sudden I had a doctorate and I was like, what do I do next? And I was like, I think I'll take a break. And so, <laughs> so there was no more school for a while. But. That's a natural uh, progression. <laughs> I felt the right. same way. Yeah. I'm not gonna yeah it kind of <laughs> happens like that sometimes. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that's, yep. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Um, because you've had these different experiences at very different schools of music, can you speak to someone who might be considering um, uh, auditioning for different music programs and what you see as positives of going to a school like Brigham Young University and what you see as positives of going to somewhere like Indiana University? and how those different types of education have served you and gotten you to where you are. Absolutely. Um, I think, I mean, this wasn't really planned. It's just kind of how it happened with my career in education. Cause like I said, I, I wasn't really sure about anything as I was going through it. It just, it kind of seemed like things just happened, but mm -hmm. I'm really, really grateful that I started at a school like Brigham Young University. Um, it's a little bit, I mean, it's not like, it's not so cutthroat. It's not one of the main music schools in the country. You know what I mean? Um, and what the reason I'm grateful that I started there was because it kind of, it gave me a chance to figure out who I was as a person mm. while I was developing my music. And I, I think when I went to my master's degree at Indiana, that school is absolutely amazing. But I think that had I been thrown into that with um, musicians who came from a very different background than me, I think I would have really, really struggled to figure out who I was as a person. I don't think, I, I didn't feel like I had that room to grow as a person there because I was so focused and so immersed in that crazy, amazing musical world. Um, so I, I, I actually try to encourage my students to pick a university for their um, bachelor's degree where they feel like they're going to have that space. They need to obviously have a, um, a pick a teacher that they really like and communicate well with, but also the university itself needs to allow them to figure out who they are as a person. It's, um, they're coming out of high school and there's so much to learn coming out of high school. I mean, you got to figure out who you are away from your social bubble <laughs> that you've been in. And so that was one thing that I really appreciated about a school like BYU is I felt like I had that space to grow, but I also had very wonderful education along the way. And the teachers allowed that space to grow. It wasn't like, um, it, I, I don't think it was quite the conservatory mindset of you do this or die, you know, that, uh, that type of thing. Yeah. And at Indiana, I felt a lot of that type of pressure, but I was ready for it because I had had that space to grow. And then when I went to ASU, ASU, I kind of felt like it was a really good middle ground. ASU is a really great music program. Um, but again, it being more of a university set, Jacob School of Music at Indiana is really conservatory. It's really a conservatory. Yeah. Um, and then ASU was, again, it was just, there was just a little bit more of that room for the whole person as opposed to just the music training. And so I think it's really important for students to take that into consideration when they're choosing. 
because I know a lot of great students want to go straight to Juilliard or straight to Eastman or straight to these amazing universities. And for some that works really well, but they need to at least consider that mm. part of their journey. So. So something that I'm interested in as mm -hmm. we talked off camera is auditioning. How yeah. can you talk about your auditioning experience getting into those schools? And what tips you would give someone that is auditioning in January? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, one of the biggest things that I think students, I, I didn't know this going into college. I actually didn't really figure this out until I was auditioning for doctoral programs, which I wish I'd known this earlier, but um, <laughs> is that you need to go have lessons with the people, that you, the places that you're auditioning. Um, I was able to do that for my doctoral programs and it made a huge difference. Um, you know, if you're going into a, um, an audition and nobody's ever heard of you and nobody has any context for who you are or where you've come from, it actually puts you at a disadvantage, um, both in their eyes and actually in your eyes as well, because you don't, there, it's really hard to get a feel for the, um, I don't know, like the spirit of the program without actually experiencing one of the teachers. Mm. Um, and obviously all teachers are different, but I, you, you, you get a feel. You get a feel for what the experience is going to be like at that school. And so um, I actually, that's not entirely true. I did get to do that a little bit at BYU because I went to the summer camp before I auditioned okay. there. So that's not, that's not entirely true. I didn't have, like, I didn't go for a private lesson but I did have that at BYU. Um, I did not have that at Indiana, and I really, really regret that. Okay. Because um, Indiana has so many teachers. And I feel like I probably, had I gone and experienced a couple of teachers, I probably would have made a different choice in my teacher. Um, my teacher was amazing. I was with Karen Shaw. Um, but I, I just, I didn't know what was being offered. I didn't know what the different personalities were. And I, I, I really didn't know the vibe of the program I was stepping into. You get a little bit of a vibe on um, audition day, but that's so, it's so competitive and so filled with nerves. And so it's not a true representation of what you're doing. And so these teachers are actually very willing to do pre-lessons because they want to know too. They want to know if you have that something extra and then if something happens in the performance and it wasn't your best performance, they're like, okay, but we had a lesson and he was awesome, you know, mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, so that's something I absolutely recommend is spend time on the campus and get in for a lesson. Some of the unit, some of the professors will even do the lessons for free if they know that you're considering their school. Some you have to pay for, but it is money very well spent. Good to know. I, I really appreciate that. I, I feel like, um, I wish I would have known that even back doing, you know, just for my bachelor's degree. And I never, I, I didn't go to a school where there were 40 viola teachers because yes. <laughs> no school is like that. <laughs> Maybe one or two to choose from. But, right? um, but I think that, um, at least for me as a musician, I always felt like, oh, if I get into the program, like, that's all I need to know. And, mm, yeah. and honestly, you're spending two years or four years or more years with this really personal relationship that you're going to have with your teacher. And yes. so why wouldn't you shop around? Like, yeah. I'm not, I don't want someone to feel like they're like a good to be traded. It's not that, but 
like you said, it's just as beneficial for them because they don't want to commit to having a four-year relationship with someone that they know they don't work well with. Yeah, exactly. And that doesn't mean you're a bad student and they're a bad teacher. It just means it's not a good you know a combination so and it's exactly what you said like music is so unique uh english people don't have a four-year relationship with their english professors they get a new one like every semester (laughs) you know and so that you you really have to be able to communicate and i mean this sounds a little strong but you have to you have to grow to love that person in a in a specific way i mean and if it's not a healthy really great symbiotic relationship neither one of you is going to get out of it what you want to get out of it. And it doesn't matter what school you go to. Exactly. You can, like my, my teacher that I studied with, with my doctorate, when I went to study with her, she was not at a big school, but I knew that she was the teacher that I wanted and I knew she was the education I wanted. And Mm. now she teaches at a big school like that. Yeah. And I'm happy for her and she has all the, you know, but I think that that's, in some ways, it's hard to balance those two things in the music world of like, well, do I go for the big school or do I go for, you know, the teacher or what and when that's important. So it's really neat to talk to you who has had both of those experiences and you can see the benefits of both of them. So, yeah. Anyway. And it just like you said, what, um, I had pretty much made up my mind where I wanted to go for my doctorate degree. And I will tell you, ASU was not it. <laughs> uh, seriously. And I, I didn't know very much about ASU. It was just in the right geographic location, honestly. That's all the only reason I was going to apply there. And um, and after going and meeting all of the teachers, that was, that was what made up my mind. I spent time on campus and I had a lesson with this teacher and it changed everything. Mm-hmm. I was not, I mean, you can ask my husband, we weren't going to be in Arizona. <laughs> and then we were. So yeah. highly recommend. Awesome. Thank you. So were, so were there any, were there any defining experiences throughout your career where you're like, yeah, I want to study music or was there anything or was it just kind of like, oh, I guess I'll just do the next thing kind of. How was that experience like? I, I do have one or two. Okay. Um, and the first one that really pops into my mind immediately is actually an experience that I had at BYU. And so um, you guys, you both understand this. You grew up in a very similar situation to me. Um, growing up on a farm in a tiny, tiny town, the arts are not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I had experience with this with music, but like I did not grow up going to lots of concerts or even listening to a lot. And so um, when I went to BYU, one of the things that they did that um, I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but now I actually make my students do it because I love it so much. Um, They had, the piano department had these listening assignments and you had to just sit down and listen to these assignments every semester. And at first I was like, well, that's kind of a waste of time, you know, I got (laughs) practicing to do, you know, and, but I did them. And then one time, um, the assignment was to listen to Ravel's Gaspard de la Nuit. Okay. And I had never heard that before. And I sat down and, you know, here, yeah, I'm a piano major and I had never heard one of the most <laughs> famous piano pieces in the world before. <laughs> yes, it's true. And I sat down and listened to Ondine. And I was so transfixed. Like, I, my mouth literally just, what? is this? (laughs) I don't know if you guys are familiar with Ondine. If you're not, it's worth every minute. I didn't even realize that music could affect me like that 
and I had never heard anything. I mean, it's, it's true impressionistic, you know, it's this high impressionistic playing. And I was not very familiar outside of a few Debussy pieces of what impressionism really was. And I heard this piece and Ondine, first of all, just, I, I, there was a moment in it that as soon as that moment hit, it's the climax of the piece close to the end. And if you're familiar with the piece, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And then I couldn't even move. And it like, I remember in that moment saying, this is why I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That, that music, that piece right there, that is why I'm here at this school. And I had never really had an experience like that before. And that was really neat. And then I went and listened to the other two movements, the um, Regibe and then Scarbo, which are also equally as creepy and fascinating and amazing. <laughs> but um, so that's the first that really comes to mind. Um, trying to think if there were really any others. I don't know, just, I guess some, most of the other ones just came during performances mm -hmm. where it's just, you're on the stage and you realize how much you love what you're doing. Mm. And it's all worth it, all the months, <laughs> anguish <laughs> yeah. and frustration and uh -huh. time away from other things. It's crazy how all of it can be worth it for one hour. Yeah. And so there's just, I always have to remember that because yeah. frustration comes. Yeah. Well, thanks <laughs> so, for sharing that. Yeah. I appreciate it. So um, two things that we definitely want to touch on with you, we haven't talked yeah. about yet. One of them is, I know that you, so you started your school of music and we want to hear a lot about that. But before we do, um, the NAM conference. Oh. I know that you were featured at the NAM conference. And this is the thing is like, I know what NAM is because I lived in Southern California, right? Oh, yeah. So yep. you get into that part of, of the music industry and you kind of have to know what the NAM conference is. But I feel like in the classical world, not as many people know about it. And maybe that's just because I didn't know about it before I moved to California. But could you like tell us what this is and like, why you were chosen or why you got to go you, tell us about the NAM conference sure I I'll be honest I didn't know very much about it <laughs> just I, like you I, classical I musicians had... they're they're great but that's not really our world as much even though it, it's shifting with the yeah. technology and everything but yeah I was I was kind of unfamiliar so how it all started <laughs> how it all started was just really random I got an email um, actually from MTNA, which is the Music Teachers National Association. Um, and I'm a member of that. And so I just got an email and I don't usually read those emails super carefully, but I happened to open this one up and read that they're like, hey, room full of pianos in Southern California is looking for some people to do this fun room full of pianos where everybody plays the same piece and there's like 30 pianists doing it. And I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. And it said, but you have to... Um, you have to submit a recording of yourself playing and tell us a little bit about your background, you know, because they want to make sure that you can play the material. And then, then they just said, um, anybody who's chosen to be a part of this gets two free tickets into the NAMM show. And, that's huge. and I was like, well, what's the NAMM show? Yeah, yeah the, I don't know what the NAMM show is. The, for one, the tickets are expensive and you have to be invited. You can't just yeah. like, oh, show really? up. Yeah, oh. you can't just show up and be like, hey, I want to attend this. Like MTNA, you're like, hey, I'm a music teacher. 
I'm going to pay my dues, and then they let you know. And then you can NAM, just buy a ticket. NAM does not work like that. Interesting. No, it is yes. right. <laughs> tell me what NAM so, is. I want to know. No, oh, goodness. Now you put me on the spot. I'm not even going to be able to tell you the right acronym. <laughs> National um, American Music something. Music. Mm, yep, that's going to bother me. But anyway. I'll look, I'll so, look it up. Hey, <laughs> you do that. That's perfect. So, yeah, I looked up what NAM was, and then I actually so I was like, oh, that looks cool. And I had actually heard um, – Angela, I'm not sure if you remember Brandon Bascom from BYU. He was a pianist at BYU, but he was a couple of years older than us. Okay. Um, he teaches at a university in California, and he had a couple of times mentioned the NAM show. Okay, what is it? Media Music. Nas National Association of Music Merchants. Merchants. So this is where everywhere, this is where Yamaha, oh. Roland, the people that make this microphone. Yes, you know, like, I was going to say that fancy mic. Everyone <laughs> goes. Okay. Everyone goes to the NAM show. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's I want in now. <laughs> it's huge. I have no idea. It's huge. Yeah. So anyway, um, I asked Brandon Bascom. I just said, you know, who? What is this? This, look, this looks like fun. I know you did. <laughs> this looks like he fun. Was like, I love it. No, he's like, um, you have no idea. Then yes, you should go. <laughs> it's like so, it's like the Staples Center full of. Music oh my gosh! Okay. I was there for three full days and I didn't see didn't close see to all. everything. Okay, so it's like Not the CES of. It's huge. Okay. It, it's huge. Cool. I, my mom and I kind of try. I took my mom with me because she's my kind of like my music buddy. It's all these types of things, and we we walked a lot. <laughs> we didn't get to everything. So I just so I I was like, oh, this looks like fun. I'd love to go to this Nam show. He's talked about it. So I submitted my application, submitted my materials with my bio, and in the bio, of course, it talked about my school a little bit. Um, and so I turned it all in, and then. Um, not very long later, I got the confirmation that I could be in it. And actually the, um, the man that was in charge of the room full of pianos, he knew Jeffrey Shumway, who was my BYU professor because the year previously, the year previous Jeffrey Shumway had been the one that had arranged the music for the room full of pianos. Oh, cool. Wow. And so he immediately saw Dr. Shumway's name on my resume and was like, oh my goodness. And so we had a little conversation there. And then from that, a few weeks later, he got a thing asking if I would be willing to be interviewed as um, basically a, a, a mover and shaker in the classical world. And I was like, well, sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I didn't really know what the interview was about, but they just, he said, I think it, it has to do with your music school and just some of the things that you're doing. Um, and then so anyway they i got interviewed for this i honestly didn't even know i knew what magazine it was for but i didn't really know what the interview so much was for and so they got a they got a video of me playing the um gershwin rhapsody in blue with the symphony and then um you know just i answered some questions <laughs> then the article comes out and i found out what it was and like who the other people that were featured in the article were and i was like oh what did i say <laughs> i hope i wasn't stupid you know yeah so, it was really fun and it was really exciting and then when it was there i got to be interviewed a little bit on camera just for their little promotional video and everything but yeah it was it was it was a lot of fun and again it was one of those things that i was just like kind of just rolling with the punches and didn't really understand what was happening so. that's, <laughs> that's funny awesome. it was a lot so. of fun some of the best things happen that way. So. Oh, I know. Yeah. And Angela, you know my mother. And so, you know, her and I show up at NAM and we were like, oh, what? we didn't pack enough black leather. 
<laughs> I know. I mean, these are rockers and yes. you know like it's that side of the music industry and recording oh, yeah. artists and you know the the bands the, the traveling with the bands and yep. it was it was awesome it's huge yeah. cool. we were we didn't we didn't pack enough black leather <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's awesome yeah what a cool experience so do you have any follow-up questions about no them? okay so let's talk fun. about let's talk about your music school you had the one-year anniversary in August, is that right? Yes, yes, we've been officially open in a for a year. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Holy ride. Yeah. <laughs> so for our listeners, just uh, tell us what it is and everything about it. How, oh, did, you, well, how did you get um, this idea to oh start a school goodness. of music? <laughs> That's a great question. Okay. So I lived in Arizona for about 10 and a half years now. Um, I moved here obviously for the doctorate and then we stayed. And I immediately upon moving here started opening up my private studio. Um, just just like I had everywhere else, um, started teaching. Teaching's always been a very important part of who I am as a musician. And so I started teaching and it didn't take long before I was um, at my max. And I say long, I mean, it probably took like two years. You know, it just takes time when you're in a new area, but. After a couple of years, I had as many as I could handle, which wasn't a huge number, but that's where I was. I was doing my degree and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, and then I started getting a lot, I, I started getting a big waiting list and I hate waiting lists. Um, I just, they're, they're awful for the teacher. They're awful for the student and they're not awful for the teacher. It, it's nice to have one or two, but you know, when you're getting people that you're like, I'm pretty sure I'm at least a year out, you know, that's not, that's not conducive to good things. And the number one question was always like, okay, well, where can we go in the meantime? And I didn't have anything to tell them. And now this sounds really, this sounds really hoity-toity. So I need to back up a little bit. Um, there are some amazing, amazing teachers in the Valley that I live, um, but none of them had room either. They were mm -hmm. all full. And so it didn't do me any good to send the students that wanted to study with me to these other really great teachers. There was three or four that I was aware of that. And I'm talking completely outside of the university. Um, I don't really count university professors in this because they're doing their own thing. But um, there was three or four that I was seeing that were having, um, that were pumping out really wonderful education for their pianists. And of course, I'm not going to recommend somebody who I don't feel is giving a good education. And so I'm very, very careful with the teachers that I recommend. Um, and it's not because I don't appreciate them or think that they're amazing people. It's just, I'm, I'm just very careful with the type of education that I promote. Um, and so it, it started getting to the point where I had nowhere to send these kids on the wait list. I could recommend a couple of people, kind of. <laughs> Yeah. And so my husband actually was the one that started putting the bug in my ear about, well, yeah, someday you could start a school. And immediately I was like, no, <laughs> never. I didn't go to business That's, school. <laughs> exactly. I was like, that sounds awful. <laughs> and so just over the years, over the years, and then I started having kids. I had my two kids. And of course, all through that time, Matt was like, you know, you should, you should have somebody that teaches under you and kind of just like, you know, start a school so that you can have a break and do this. And I'm like, oh, no, never. <laughs> and he kept bugging and kept bugging. <laughs> and the, and, but the, the thing is, the situation in my area never seemed to improve. You know, I got to know a lot more musicians. I got to know a lot more teachers. 
and my my opinion on some of the situations of the teaching in the valley where I was really wasn't changing. And I started to feel like there had to be something that I could do to provide a very high level education for, you know, a, a respectable price without these kids having to go to a university for that. Because I mean, for Pete's sake, I live in the metropolitan Phoenix area, you know what I mean? And it's so big that people that are in actual Phoenix, that's an hour away from where I am. And students, for the most part, that still want a good education aren't able to do that. You know, that's an hour in road. That doesn't even count if there's like traffic, traffic right? <laughs> yeah, you know that living in Southern California, it gets yeah. nuts. And so I really, really wanted to be able to offer this higher level of teaching. And I have a very specific way of teaching, a very structured style. And um, most of my students that study with me music is very important to them. It's not their second or third priority, right? Sports aren't more important than music. It's usually the other way around. And so I, even with that on the table, I still was, my wait list was getting too big. And then it just oh, evolved. Pressure from lots of people that I love and my husband showing, he, he, had, to, he had to push me into it. <laughs> but he would like show me this. He, he just all of a sudden started looking up real estate like, Huh, that could be a good school. <laughs> Seriously. And, and then he would just be like, well, what if you rented this out? Oh, that would be good. <laughs> can you imagine? You wouldn't, you could, you know, just pay somebody else to teach. And, you know, just, and he just started kind of painting the picture. So I started taking him seriously. And my kids are getting a little older. I mean, I still had a three year old last year and now I have a four year old. So it's not like they're real old. But, um, and then, just the, it started to just take shape. I started to be able to, in my mind, I could see some of the teachers that I wanted to work with. And it, all of a sudden it expanded beyond piano. And immediately I knew who my vocal teacher was gonna be. And all of a sudden I met this violinist that really, it was amazing and an, an amazing educator. Even, I think she's a better teacher than she is a violinist and she's a fantastic violinist, but, um, and all of a sudden I had, I had my core. I had the piano department, I had the voice department and I had the violin department and the strings department. And, and then all of a sudden it was just there and it, we got together and just started popping off ideas and it just, it just took shape. And then all of a sudden we found this old disgusting abandoned church <laughs> that was being rented out. I mean, it was, it's huge. It's like, it's over 5,000 square feet. And so the price was obviously large, but because it was so old and ugly and nasty, honestly, <laughs> the price per square foot that they were offering was like unheard of. And all of a sudden I had a recital hall. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we, you know, we, so we spent a couple months building walls and making sure the classrooms were what we wanted. And then all of a sudden this Busendorfer, this opportunity to own a Busendorfer, a nine foot Busendorfer just kind of fell in my lap. <laughs> and I was not shopping for a Busendorfer <laughs> and it just all of these things just happened and then all it was just there was nowhere else to go <laughs> there was there was it just it it all came together and in my mind when things start to happen like that it's like okay this is this is happening it's kind of a sign it's like better stop fighting it yeah <laughs> and so and so we did it we opened our doors we had um honestly with with our first I had over 10 people on my wait list that immediately signed up, which was nuts. 
and then we just we just went from there and so now we have voice piano violin cello viola guitar and we have over 50 private students we have lots of group classes we probably have probably 80 students a semester with some of our group things that are going on if not more i don't know i haven't run the numbers in a while but mm-hmm. and it's really a really wonderful place for students to get an elite level education but there's also a program all of us are kind of you know we're one in purpose we have our own technique program that everyone follows we have our own way of learning music that's um a systematic way to learn music um because i think that's part of the biggest struggle with um, people trying to learn an instrument is a lot of the time they don't learn a process to learn new music. Their teacher will say, okay, go home and learn this. <laughs> I mean, what does that really mean? Everybody just thinks, okay, go home and learn the notes. But uh, we provide everybody with this very systematic approach to learning music. And so we have, we have a couple programs that really help us stand out. And then with, um, We've, we've been able to have some really fun successes with some of our students in competitions and with um, college auditions and things like that. So we're starting to get a little bit of a reputation and people, we rent out our recital hall so that we, there's a really affordable option for people in my area to use amazing instrument and an amazing space. Because that was another thing that was just kind of lacking in the area that we are in you know, without traveling an hour into Phoenix, there were not a lot of recital halls that you could use for less than about $500 a recital, wow. which is insane. And no, no private piano teacher can pay that. No. And the spaces that were affordable were, were really great and wonderful for some things, but most of the time they had a really tinny, gross piano on the stage. And of course, as an elite piano teacher, that's not the experience I'm trying to give my students. Yeah. 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 You want the, you want a performance to be something special, not something disappointing. Yeah. You know, and when you try to perform something fantastic, you worked so hard on it. It's the hardest piece you've ever done. And you go up on an instrument that is incapable of colors and sounds and control. Mm. What a downer. (laughs) Well, an instrument that's able to perform for you. Yeah. Yeah. Really, you have to. Yeah. And especially Absolutely. when you don't know what it's going to be. I mean, like for violinists and they, they know what it's going to be like, except for like the sound in the space. Yes. So yeah, nice exactly. Grammar. So these, these other halls in the area, like I said, they did some things incredibly well and they were really wonderful and for offering their space, but there was nothing affordable for pianists. Hmm. And so I was so excited to be able to offer that in the community just to get these kids somewhere like, no, this is a real piano. Mm. (laughs) This is what it feels like. This is why people spend all this time practicing this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm just would like to take a quick little aside because I'm a little bit of a piano nerd. Can you talk about your Busendorfer just a little bit? (laughs) Oh, bronze is kind of hot stuff. So I totally understand. Oh yeah. Yeah. I saw that on your Instagram. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, like, how'd you, like, can you talk about, like, finding it? Did you go over to Austria at the Busendorfer factory? Or can you oh, just, like... heavens no. Okay. <laughs> That's a dream. That's yeah. a dream. We'll... Someday, someday yeah. that I would yeah. love to do that. Uh-huh. So this is, it's an, like I said, it's really a random, odd story. So mm-hmm. Franz is actually a 1986 Busendorfer. He's an Imperial okay. from 1986. Oh, so you have he... an Imperial. 
Yes. Wow. So Franz has 92 keys, wow. not the traditional 88. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Mm-hmm. He's really special. That's so, so cool. um when what happened is I was um actually Franz came into my um to my world before I even had my space. <laughs> but I just knew that he was going to be such a big part of everything. So what happened was, like I said, I was not piano shopping. I was not. Um, my sister-in-law, however, was piano shopping just for an upright. Um, they needed to replace their upright um, in their home. And so they were just going to some of the local piano stores in the East Valley in Gilbert and in Mesa. And um, so they went into this small piano shop that actually their whole shtick is piano rentals like it's a rent to own piano shop so really not even not even like a traditional like nice piano store right yeah and yes they walk into the store <laughs> shopping for a used upright and in the middle of the <laughs> shop is this nine foot imperial busendorfer and they're like uh what <laughs> so they asked the shop an over, you can have a I, I know it's totally weird totally weird so just because they're it's it's my husband's it's my husband's side of the family but of course they know they know me and so they were like well let's get some info on this so yeah. they the store owner a little bit about it uh, like, oh that's that's kind of cool and then so they actually just sent me a text like the next day they're like, hey, have you seen that big piano in, in the piano store? And I was like, no. <laughs> Normally, I don't get that excited about things in this particular store for me, right? Yeah. It's great affordable stuff for um, <laughs> students. But I was like, uh, no. They're like, yeah, it started with a B or something. And it was big. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of all I knew about it. But they were like, but they told me a little bit about the story that the guy said. And the guy said it was like super expensive and super rare. <laughs> like you should totally go check it out it was really pretty uh, so i was like pretty. whatever you know i know uh, it's so, so super pretty so i walk into this store totally just because i was in the area like it was not a special trip i was like yeah they told me i should check it out so i did i walk in and it's a nine foot imperial busendorfer and i'm like what like, exactly i'm like what okay so i went to talk to the store owner i was like josh what what is this doing? <laughs> like, is this, is this a joke? Like, is this like a junker that's, you know, like, what is this? And he was like, so he told me the story and actually, so it belonged to a man who lived in San Diego. Um, and this man was very wealthy and a collector of rare, odd, random things. So he acquired this Busendorfer <laughs> and well, this man passed away, but he had a brother who lived in Phoenix. And the brother who lived in Phoenix became in because he didn't have a great plan for any of his rare collectible items. Oh, so his brother in Phoenix them. was in charge of taking care of everything. <laughs> brother in Phoenix was like, what the heck do I do with the nine foot piano? That's not something you can just sell to the neighbor down the street, you know? And so he went online, this guy in Phoenix went online and found the first piano shop that, that popped up on Google called them and said, hey, can you help me sell this thing? And of course, this shop was like, yes, we can. Yes, we can. Oh my goodness. And so then, of course, this store owner is realizing that he's in a little bit over his head because none of his clientele are in the market for an instrument like this. No. 
so I go in and play it and I get the history on it and, and it has some work that needs to be done on it. And, but it's still like, I played it and I was like, this feels nice. You know, yes, there's some work here and there's uh, the pedal need to be needed to be redone and thing, there are a couple little things, but the, it was a beautiful instrument. And when I felt it, it I, the word I like to use is buttery. It was just, it had a beautiful sound and it was very reactive to my touch. And so I was like, this is cool. So then I just, I, I, I was like, I, my, you know, the wheels were turning, but then I walked away and I just kind of, so I told my husband what it was and he couldn't believe it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, to give everybody on your podcast, a little bit of reference, a new instrument of this size and this um, brand, Busendorfer, is anywhere, is probably low end would be $250,000. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this isn't just, you know, like even a 50 or $60,000 instrument. No. New, these things are crazy expensive and, and they're how, quite rare. And how rare is the Imperial? Yeah. The 90s. Imperials are a little, that's, the Imperials are the ones that usually started at the 250. Okay. So, um, yeah, so it's, but a lot of the Imperials are even above 500 at this point, um, mm, yeah. seriously. Yeah. And so, um, it's, but part of the reason is because they're pretty rare. Usually the only people that have Busendorfers are like, um, centers for arts in big cities. Um, ASU has one because they have a Busendorfer performing artist on their faculty. Uh -huh. Um, but this is, these are, these are not found in very many places they just they just aren't so anyway and my then so my husband and I start talking about it and he's like well can you even imagine if you had that for your school and I was like <laughs> <laughs> and so because he had told me what the asking price was for it and and I was like oh, okay you know <laughs> but so we just kept thinking about it and thinking about it and it, I couldn't get it out of my mind and so about a week later, the instrument was still there. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, I went in and I just kind of talked to him. I just said, okay, what if, you know, what if I wanted to buy this for a music school? What if I didn't have as much money as you're asking for it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and can you talk to the owner and see, you know, what, what would he do? You know, I don't know you know let's throw it out there Fantasy. i guess you guys yeah, yeah exactly I'm, I'm guessing you haven't had a lot of offers <laughs> going out and on so, a limb there i know i know um and so he did he he and then he he contacted the guy and he got back to me actually the very next day and was like yeah this guy's willing to play ball he said well if this is going to a music school and kids are going to be able to use it and perform on it it'll be a part of the community then he's willing to uh -huh. chop off this much and he'd give it to you for this much and it actually ended up being an amount that my husband and I were able to stomach, yeah, you wow. know, and it, it ended up being probably one of the best things that I did for my school. There's wow. a certain amount of prestige and, yeah. um, a, you know, like a seriousness level that comes with having that kind of instrument at your school. And I've even had, um, I've had people at ASU come use my facility because right. their facilities were too booked up. And so I've had doctoral recitals I've had lecture recitals. I've had all kinds of things at my school because of the caliber of instrument that we were able to bring in. So wow. Franz is, he's my guy. Yeah. Are Sorry, you... my husband. 
were you able to actually speak to the the brother at all and you know invite no. him to any performances or anything like that? I was never given his contact oh. information or anything. I you know that's a really wonderful idea for me. I I bet I could go back to the owner, yeah. the, to the to the the piano store owner and ask for that. That would be mm. that would be cool and invite him to something. Yeah. That's a really great or idea. Or send him a DVD or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, because obviously he's not a pianist, but right. Yeah, right. it's really interesting because we interviewed someone else the other day who went into music, you know, Del Parkinson. He went into music because someone who was not a musician was like, well, you know, you can major in music. Like, just like <laughs> the most random things that happen. And I'm like, I, I feel like I keep hearing these these things that happen from non-musicians that really help them and they don't even yes. realize how much. So anyway. Yeah. I love that. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, I am slightly jealous but <laughs> i'll have to come him. i'll have to come down sometime that would be oh the yeah only, the only busendorfer i've played was at uh, byu the music camp i played on it just just like a little they just had it on the stage and it was like oh you can play it if you want or just like played a few uh -huh. notes and it was one of my favorite piano i mean i liked it better than the steinway and the uh what else they had oh the fa the, the fazioli. fazioli yeah mm -hmm. i liked it way better than either of them so they're they're incredible they're really incredible yeah, they are well yeah. this is going to show my ignorance about pianos but <laughs> would you say Bussendorfer Dorfer and Steinways are like this or Bussendorfer Steinways or does it depend on the instrument it, it does depend a little bit on the instrument I have played Steinways that I preferred over Bussendorfers um but um Bussendorfers are more expensive okay. you can get a really nice um let's see if I put this in. I don't even know if I can give a good perspective, but Busendorfers are definitely more expensive than Steinways. Okay. They're more rare. Um, um, and I've, like I said, I'm at, so like at ASU, for example, they have a Hamburg Steinway and they have a Busendorfer. And it 100% for me depended on the repertoire I was playing, which piano I would choose. Mm -hmm. um, the Steinway at their hall, their, their specific hall, was a much more singing instrument. And I felt like it had the, the mellow, um, beautiful um, colors that I was looking for in mm, a lot of my repertoire. Um, whereas the Busendorfer, when I played my Bartok piano concerto, I was like, that's the one. Mm -hmm. It just, it was bigger and it was a little bit, just a little bit more percussive, still beautiful, but it just, so um, some people are, some people definitely have very strong opinions. I don't. Um, I still think it, um, just really depends on the instrumental. I think if you're mm -hmm. comparing two very high quality Steinway and a high quality Busendorfer, it's just going to come down to your tone color preference. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think just because we want to be respectful of your time and what you're doing, there's there's one more thing that I mm -hmm. would like to touch on if this sure. is okay with you. Yeah. Can you um, tell us about your, I'm going to say it wrong again, but your, your trio? Um, yeah, solid years. Yeah, how you got started and how that has kind of progressed. And um, yeah, can you talk about that? Sure. So um, really how it started was just all three of us. There's three of us. There's me um, on the piano. There's a violinist and there's a soprano. And we all just kind of kept bumping into each other at local things. Um, they would put a choir together for this. And Jamie, who's our soprano, would be in it and I'd be accompanying it. And then kind of the same thing. Oh, well, we need a guest violinist. Or I played in an orchestra once where Jenny was the concertmaster. 
And so her and I got to talking because, you know, you always, you're always trying to make connections with like-minded people and people that are in similar situations as yourself. And she was a young mother and I was a young mother and we'd all, you know, obviously music was kind of her thing. And so actually it was Jenny and I started talking and we started actually putting on little concerts just because we, she needed an outlet. I was still in school at the time, um, but it was so fun to just play with somebody where there wasn't an agenda. You know what I mean? So we would just put together these little like read throughs and then we had so much fun doing it. We we're like, oh, let's put together a concert and invite some other people to be a part of it. So we did that. And then it turns out that she kind of ended up doing the same type of thing with Jamie, our singer. <laughs> Jamie was conducting a, um, a choir for something and they needed a violin obligato on a couple of pieces. And so she's like, oh, I, oh, I know this person that I've seen at different places before. So they started working together a little bit and then they started talking and they said, oh my gosh, we want to start a group that, so that people like us can just perform. We need an outlet. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, but we can't do this without a pianist. And both of them were like, I know someone. Yeah. <laughs> and both of them were thinking of me because we just, of the different times we'd interacted. And I was still, I was kind of toward the end of my doctoral degree. So they were like, oh, let's just, uh, I don't think she'll do it. You know, she's so busy. I don't think she'll do it. Um, but I, I really liked them. And so we just kind of set something up. And we're like, well, let's just try one concert and let's do it. And I was like, I'm fine for that. Let's do that. So we tried one concert and then we're like, we should do this again. Let's think of a name for ourselves. And so we, we had a name originally that was not our current name. And we, we didn't have an identity. We were just putting on concerts, right? We had lots of guest artists and lots of this and lots of that and still no identity. And, but it, it kept happening. And then other people would be like, well, I want to play with you guys. Oh, okay. Well, let's put together a concert based on this. And then we do, well, let's do a, let's do a concert about the seasons, you know? So then we just started throwing on um, topics for our concerts. And anyway, it just started evolving. And we realized that the three of us in particular really had something special. We, um, Personality-wise, we really great matches. We each have our little different <laughs> quirks and things that we take care of. Jamie's our people person. She's like a social butterfly. She's wonderful. <laughs> Jenny is our, like, she's so organized, it's ridiculous. You know, she has <laughs> meeting minutes from everything, and she has a spreadsheet for everything. And I just kind of show up, <laughs> play the piano. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's great. And I'm, I'm also organized, but I'm not a spreadsheet and I'm also a little bit of a people person. So like, I'm kind of actually a really good mediator between the two and we all just, anyway, and musically, we all have very, very similar musical language, um, with our, you know, our breathing and our phrasing and we just really meshed. And so we went through a couple different changes. Then we decided to rebrand and that's when we came up with our Salonier's name, which is, um, we got it from, um, Salonniers is actually a French word that means that is was applied to um, the hosts of, and they were almost always, well, the word is female. They were females in the 17th and 18th centuries that would put together these salon events. Mm. So in their homes, some, it wasn't always music, but it was often music and, or readings of poetry or literature. And it was just groups of people that would get together to have this intimate setting of music or literature. 
And so when we learned about that word, we were like, oh yeah, that's kind of already exactly what we're doing. We're doing concerts in people's homes to small intimate gatherings. And it just kind of went from there. And once we got our name, we started to really solidify our identity and Mm -hmm. who we were and what we wanted to do. And it's just kind of all gone from there. We, we perform in people's homes. Um, but we have a list of requirements for it to be, you know, a certain type of evening and we just get volunteer hosts. Um, but we've also done, we've also done some bigger venues. Like we've been there to CSI. Mm -hmm. Um, we've done a couple other things around, um, especially Arizona, but we've played in some really, really fun homes. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I think Scottsdale and some of those fun, it's, it's been really fun. And so, yeah, we're in our seventh season now, but Coronaville is here. And so (laughs) we can't be in people's homes. So we're just kind of taking this particular season to, um, like, like we talked about a little bit earlier, um, we're recording a new album. We have one album out. It's just self-titled. It's called Solonaires. And it's just some of our, some of our favorite works, but we're working on an American sacred album that has a lot of, um, you know, um, spirituals and, but also classical art song and um, hymns, um, Christian hymns. So a couple examples would be like, his eye is on the sparrow um, for like, and then also we have from Samuel Barber, the crucifixion. So just very different takes at sacred music from American composers. So it's a lot of fun, but it's, it's been a very evolving process and a very refining and enlightening process cool so well just to wrap up for our listeners from all of these things we've talked about yeah what would be one tool you would recommend us to put in our toolbox oh maybe it's a business tool from your music school or you can choose a couple if you don't want to just choose one yeah a couple would be good yeah (laughs) a couple's okay if you're going to school for music take a business class and take a technology class. I didn't think it was necessary 10 years ago <laughs> and that was stupid. <laughs> so those are two things that I highly recommend. Everybody in the music business, everybody needs to have a little bit of business savvy and everybody needs to have a basic understanding of the technology of the day. It's and interesting that it's not required yeah. because I mean, Agreed. I don't feel like people talk about music in no. any way other than the music business as you just said so yeah and as a student i know that there was one or two things that were offered but it never even crossed my mind to take them as a class Mm -hmm. so i honestly exactly you're supposed to practice exactly (laughs) and so i wish they had been required yeah yeah i can't say that i would have paid attention enough to (laughs) i don't know but i think it needs to be a really really big deal for any musician because it's hard to be creative and find a niche for yourself if you don't have the tools to be creative and find your niche, yeah, especially yeah. in the, the digital world that we live in these days. So that's, mm-hmm. that's one thing. Um, and then the next thing is just to, I don't think you have to force it as a musician. Don't try to force yourself into a box that maybe isn't right for you just because somebody else went there. I struggled with that for a lot of years. I thought if I wasn't on the stage doing, you know, concerto, performances with symphonies that I was not doing my job as a musician and it there's you guys are obviously very aware doing this podcast there's so many different ways to be a successful musician 
And if you haven't found your way yet, fine. But don't try to force it into something that isn't going to bring you joy. Because that's, I mean, ultimately, if your music isn't bringing you joy, you're in the wrong place. Yeah. You know, you're, then something, something isn't right. And so if we've learned anything from YouTube, it's that anybody can be a musician. Yes. <laughs> anybody <laughs> can find their place. And so do your thing, try things, volunteer, you know, maybe I, I've, I've learned that I actually really like the business side of music and that's something I have no experience with. And yet I'm learning, you know, <laughs> and so, and I really love the, I love the chamber side of music and I had that much chamber training, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> not, not where I thought I'd be. So give yourself time and space to figure out who you are as a person and who you are as a musician and go with it because there's the place for you. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much yeah. for being here. Yeah, we appreciate it. We really appreciate your time. What where a fun can... idea you guys have. Fun thing. <laughs> <laughs> where can our listeners find you on Instagram or where where oh, a place to send or... them? Yeah. Um as a pianist I do have a personal page on Facebook. It's just Carolee Hunter Pianist or something like that. Um, my school is on Facebook and Instagram at Hammer and Strings AZ for Arizona. We're on Facebook and Instagram. So we always we we have things on there that anybody might be interested in, you know, mm -hmm. funny memes, you know. Yeah. It's what it's what everybody needs right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Practicing tips, memorization tips, we do things like that. Um, so those are and then um personally I have a website and of course Hammer and Strings has a website. It's caroleehunter.com or hammerandstrings.com. So perfect. And you can find out has one too, right? What's that? Oh, and Solinears. Yes. Solinears.com. Yeah. yeah. There, you go. there you go. Well, thank yeah. you. Thank you for your time and all of the Absolutely. great insights. It was so fun to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks you guys for involving me. It was great. Thanks for listening guys. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, we're fairly new, so we'd appreciate it if you shared it with all of your friends. And you can find us on all the podcasting platforms you listen to. And we're also on YouTube, so thanks for watching. Is there an episode that you would like us to cover or a topic that we haven't yet? If you have one, feel free to contact us through our website, which is themusicianstoolboxpodcast.com, or you can email us at themusicianstoolboxpodcast the <laughs> at gmail.com. Yeah, and we also, for those of you who are watching our YouTube channel, know, but we've got some amazing merch that we're not wearing right now, but it looks really sick. So we recommend you check that out and support us. That really helps us. Appreciate you checking that out on our website um, and also anywhere else you find links. You could probably find a picture or two of it also on our social media accounts. Oh, um, yeah. And you can also find information about the next person that we're going to be presenting to you. So yeah. we are on Instagram and Facebook, Facebook and you can find us at The Musician's Toolbox. Perfect. Thanks for listening. See you later. Bye.